Welcome to the Life on Shuffle podcast, a collection of stories about people who have taken chances, embraced the unexpected, and inadvertently discovered their true passion. Today we are featuring Lella Lytle, a teacher from Lenore, North Carolina. I am your host, Sophia, and I am joined in the room today by Ariana, Michaela, Henry, and Cooper. We are interviewing Lella Lytle, who is a major in biology, English, and education. She graduated from Appalachian State University and Lees McCray College. Originally, she entered college undecided for a career with either plants and biology or journalism, and now works at the Caldwell Community College and Technical Institute, teaching English and humanities classes such as writing, literature, critical thinking, and mythology. She has spent time throughout her life traveling and researching the mythologies and religions of different cultures, and continues her independent studies of humanities and ecology alongside her current teaching today. Welcome to the show, Lella. Thank you. The first question we have for you today is what did you want to be when you were 17? (laughs) So when I was 17, I had the idea of being, wait for it, a rock and roll star. I mean, that was about as far as I could think at the age of 17. And I was having to learn because I was in, um, I was in chorus and my, um, my instructor um, she actually guided me to help her with, um, like conducting. And so I was really into music at that time and thinking, oh, I'll go to college and I'll study music. And at this point I was getting that idea, you know, you're not going to be a rock and roll star, but you're, I'm thinking music. I'm thinking, let's go to college and, you know, do the whole tryout and audition and all of that route. And then things changed. <laughs> what like led you to that change? Well, it was it was actually community college, and uh, it was my mom going to community college, and she started. She decided to sign up for a horticulture degree, and as she was taking those classes, I would help her study, and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm actually liking plants. Who thought, you know? I think my parents have been trying to get me interested in plants for quite a while. And I started learning native plants. And my mind just took to it like, you know, the the duck takes to water. And now it was, as is my want to do, I hopped over into biology. (laughs) So what um, did you find you liked about biology when you first took the class? It was, it clicked for me. Um, I had um, what would end up being my story again and again was there was a mentor. There was someone who was, it was a person that I was connecting with that would lead me into my next interest. And so my instructor at the time, my teacher, um, her name was um, Mrs. K and she the way she taught biology she took us out into the hall and she was teaching us about uh, how DNA works and she did it you know having us kind of join together as the different parts of DNA and showing us how uh, DNA recombines and you know um, she'd take us out and have us be the parts of the cell. And there was something that just really started clicking in, in almost acting out biology. I, it, I realized that I was kind of, you know, my mind was really made for this kind of thinking. And so then I started 
um, looking at that towards college, thinking, you know, I could really thrive here. But what I didn't ever think through that kept being kind of my downfall was, you know, what am I really going to do with this in the realities of my life? And that's where things kept shifting and switching for me every time. And then getting to college, it switches again because of that. Um, you know, realities did come into place. And, you know, I think what happens for a lot of young people is that you can have a dream career, but how do other parts of your life come into that? Are you willing to relocate? How do you feel about being away from your family? How do you feel about how far you're going to be away from them? And are you going to adapt to a new environment and new expectations? And when I started learning in college what biology meant, what it meant for me to have to get a job in biology, I, it. I got some cold feet, you know, because I was like, man, there's nothing really in my area, you know. Um, I had Grandfather Mountain as a natural biologist because, you know, I wasn't looking at pre-med. I had Grandfather Mountain, which was very competitive and becoming increasingly competitive. And then outside of that, I was really looking at having to relocate. And so that's when the story started changing again. And you said you had a lot of mentors that kind of guided you throughout your story. Yes. Did you have someone that led you from biology to a different career path while you were in college? Absolutely. So I got to Lee's McRae. And again, my I had this small little world when I started out. And I mean, I'm someone who was probably more anxious about leaving my home and my family than most of the people I knew. You know, a lot of my classmates were more comfortable with that idea than I was at the time. And so when I got to Lee's McRae, I think my professors saw that in me and they they started just laying, you know, kind of think about little breadcrumbs out in front of, you know, a scared, you know, a, a scared animal you're trying to convince yeah. is your friend. That's what it was like for me with my professors. Um, and I could be kind of a little rowdy and rambunctious and rebellious, too. I didn't even know if I wanted to be in college when I got there. I was at that point where uh, I thought, Maybe there was a different route. I didn't know if I could, if the studying was for me. I got really burnt out with high school. Um, and I look back on that and I see like I was bored. And then here come my professors, Miss White. She, the first class I had with her was honors seminar. And then Dr. Joslyn, who was my, uh, the equivalent, uh, he was my, my freshman composition instructor and I continue to have them a couple you know several more times through college because Lee's McRae's this small you know college where you keep taking the same professors again and again and so I they started you know talking to me about my writing and saying your writing's really strong you could do something more with that and I was like well I've always you know I, I spent 
like hours and hours when I should have been studying in middle school writing my first novel maybe I could do writing and that's where I started thinking about the journalism side of things and maybe there would be some way to join journalism with biology and you know do something like National Geographic you know uh, journalists do but again I wasn't ready to step out into that big world. And so it was really, I started noticing what my professors were doing and started enjoying particularly seminar courses. And those seminar courses where I was, you know, we were having, you know, uh, professors are basically giving you questions that are really open-ended and letting your uh, letting the class kind of guide where discussion goes. And then when it goes too far on a tangent, they're bringing them back in and bringing them back to the material and the course outcomes. But I noticed how much, how inventive that was and how much fun they were having, you know, building, achieving these learning outcomes that they want, you know, they had these ideas of what they wanted their students to learn. And yet you could look from professor to professor and they would have the same outcomes on their syllabus and have a totally different way of meeting those same outcomes. And I was fascinated by that creativity. And so I'm going through all of these possibilities, you know, looking over, I looked at, uh, I stayed in natural biology as my major the entire time but I started exploring communication arts and did several classes with that thinking about that journalism side and then that also because communication arts had so many literature courses and, and humanities courses that they wanted you to take as electives that's where I started learning that side and it started drawing me closer and closer to what I would be doing t today and that's you know teaching English and humanities yeah so when you graduated from Lisa McRae where were you in your life at that point at that point, it was, I had, I now had this, basically, I was this close to a double major. I was really close. Um, and the only thing that I was missing to double major in English alongside of biology was my foreign language requirement. And so I was like, okay, I can do two things. I can keep going in biology and see where that takes me because you know planning is not my nature I'm just at this point nothing feels comfortable when I put it down in in blueprints and plans I just don't work that way and so I kind of you know threw things to fate so to speak and I applied for the uh, biology at Appalachian State to get the masters there because at this point I'm like I'm I think I'm going to teach I think Either way, I'm going to teach whatever I do, and I want it to be at the college level. And so, and then I also applied for their English program, and I didn't think they'd accept me because I was missing the foreign language. Even though I was warmer to English by this time and majoring in it, I, was, I, I thought that I would end up having to do biology. So when I was accepted... I I quickly took on, I, I was just like, no, this, this feels right. And honestly, it was that gut, it feels right. I want to teach English. And that's, that's, that's where I was at at that point. 
what was it that drew you to teaching and then like teaching specifically at a community college level so that was a process of evolution as well and when i first came out of lise mccray my thoughts I, I didn't even understand the differences between community college teaching and then teaching the research side of uh you know pursuing and getting your doctorate and then doing so much research and publishing when you came out of the other end um, with a doctorate and so I had in my mind at the time that I graduated from Lise McRae that uh, I would take that route to get my PhD, go to a university, you know, compete for tenure and all that came with that. And as I was in the process at ASU, I had the opportunity to take a course that was about community college teaching. And a lot of, I had another mentor at the time, uh, Georgia Rhodes. She suggested I take it because I had been expressing to her some of my hesitance, you know, some of the problems that I was having with the world of the university academic politics. And so because you get into that world and it's, it's you start realizing that things on the ground are different than you are imagining them. And at ASU, which is a small university, I could tell there was a real competitive political kind of competition going on with people. And I, that's not what I wanted to spend my life worrying about was how I looked compared to other people teaching. I wanted to think about my students because that's where I enjoyed myself in the classroom. That's where I was happy. If I was in my office, wasn't happy. That's true to this day. <laughs> I want to, you know, be with my students and yeah. I'll find excuses to get in the classroom with them. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll still say, hey, my office hours, let's just have them in the computer lab so we can keep doing the work that we're doing, you know. Uh, anything to stay out of the office. <laughs> and so that's when Georgia suggested I take that community college teaching course. And that's where things started really coming together. And, and the puzzle was starting to look like something instead of a mess. <laughs> yeah. What did you gain from that class specifically? And did that teacher have any impact on you? So when I took that course, the thing that hit me most strongly was the difference in teaching from someone who was teaching English at the master's level and someone who was teaching education at the master's level. And the, and it was exactly what I was looking for. It was the student focus. And so the teachers in the education department were way more concerned for how we would carry out our our job in the classroom and like they were kind of modeling the way they thought instructors should be for us and that was a very student-centered student-focused I mean I had a that teacher brought made us lunch every week wow. we only yeah wow. we only met once a week 
and she would make something every single week and I'm talking like a crock pot full of something like little smoky sausages and then she'd have sides and all these snacks and when you see someone being that student-centered you start you know you pay attention I mean it was quite you realize it's a calling it's something that you're you're really pulled into and you give your heart not just you know it's not just the hours you put in for that paycheck and that felt a lot better to me and and that's what I really got out of that class more than anything you know content wise was again the affirmation like yeah I'm in the right place this is the this is how I want to feel about a job yeah so you said you took that class at ASU Mm -hmm. is that right so throughout your how many years were you at ASU I was at ASU for three years total and so it was it getting a master's degree usually takes two years but again being that kind of I'm just finding my way as best as I can in this crazy world because I did switch from the one route which was English with kind of which was more of the intention again to go towards a PhD and then I switched over to the community college focus and and teaching Um, I had to make up for that and then like I told you I still had to take those foreign language requirements when I got there it's not like they said nope you don't it's okay you don't have to have them no that was like a condition and so I had to do that as well and that that full you know that that filled my plate (laughs) yeah um when you graduated ASU were you still like planning on going directly into teaching or did you go somewhere else before you started like your career I started I got in there as soon as I could right in the middle of those three years and so the first thing I did I mentioned Dr. Joslyn who was like mainly my literature instructor he hired me to teach American literature at Lee's McRae so I actually taught there at Lee's McRae before I even taught at ASU as a teaching assistant. Oh, wow. And yeah. so you came in like the first year uh, I came in and I worked at ASU for my graduate assistantship uh, in the writing center. Then that summer came and I taught that American, uh, well, actually it was rhetoric the American literature came later so it was rhetoric and it was the equivalent kind of a freshman composition mixed with public speaking uh it was kind of Lise McRae's answer to you know kind of join writing and speaking together and then that fall that fall after I taught that first summer course is when I taught at ASU under my teaching assistantship and so there were all of these these kind of tests like is this really for you and I even you know I tried the writing center I thought maybe the writing center would be a place I'd enjoy too but it just didn't have the same you know the excitement the the connection the there's a dynamic that happens in the classroom with a group of people it can't happen on an online class yeah you know it can't happen in that kind of environment but that that classroom dynamic that you know, I was just in it. Immediately, it sucked me up. I mean, that first class I taught at Lee's McRae, I, I mean, I knew I'd finally found, you know, 
home, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And was there was there a specific reason why you moved from Lee's Rick, Lee's McRae to ASU? Yeah. So Lee's McRae, it was, it was, it, it was kind of my training ground, so to speak. It's where I was comfortable as a student, but then also it 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 was a four year degree, and then ASU going over to it I only stayed there for just a little bit with the teaching assistantship until I graduated teaching there and so at that point I was like well I got to get hired someplace and they offered me a position at Lee's McRae that I took and it wasn't the community college um I actually to get into teaching at a community college the, they wanted you to have at least a year, sometimes two years experience teaching in a community college. And that was a big deal that I didn't realize. Like every time I looked to apply to a community college, it was, we want experience. So I kind of took this big chance and I, I quit my full jo- full-time job at Lee's McRae which was teaching developmental writing and helping with the writing center there um, and also advising that I was doing. And I quit that and I went part-time into community college so I could build that experience that they were looking for, which was a huge risk, but it was also so eye-opening because I not only taught... Uh, I I taught at Caldwell Community College. I taught at Lenore Rhine part-time as well because, you know, I also had to pay the bills, right? (laughs) And then Northeast State Community College in Tennessee. And I was commuting all over the place during this time. It was, I would be like Monday, Wednesday, I'd be going to Tennessee all the way out to Bristol to their distant campus. And which was the cutest little campus in downtown Bristol it was and then I'd be teaching in Elizabethton Tennessee later and then coming over and like stopping at the Watauga campus for Caldwell and then going all the way down to Hickory on like Tuesday Thursday Thursdays to you know fulfill that palette but it worked. I got the experience that they wanted me to have. And um, then that paired with getting my education specialist degree, as they called it, I think, you know, locked me into getting hired on full time at Caldwell Community College. Yeah. So. Did you have any doubts during that time doing all that commuting and traveling? Were you ever questioned anything? Absolutely. it was you know it it was such a big decision to leave the security of Lee's McRae College but for one the pay there was very limited you know degrees you know I didn't have the PhD that a lot of the professors did and even then it being a you know a non a non-profit private college they were they struggled to compete with like what ASU was paying or what any other uh, and I needed to you know I needed to branch out from that but it was job security 
it was, you know, you've got a full-time job and now you're going to quit it yeah. so that you can get experience that may or may not pay off. Yeah. And it was, it was, it, you know, sometimes those moments of high anxiety that seem to follow me to all of these places. And, you know, when I look back on it, there's always that... Robert Frost talked about, you know, the, the, the path less taken, yes, uh, the road less yeah. taken. And that's, I'm, I'm always thinking about that poem of if you, if you look back at those splits in your life, you could totally see yourself having landed somewhere else. And did I take the right path? There's no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> in one in one universe, I I work at a national park in a place where opportunities opened up and showed me earlier in my life that I would enjoy traveling, that I would not I would not struggle the way I thought I would leaving my mountain life, yeah. you know. Had those had different experiences came I might have worked at a national park as a ranger or been a research scientist or I might have been a you know nature journalist all of those would have been excellent and rewarding paths as well but in this universe here I am with this one and it is also awesome and excellent and has been richly rewarding and that's that that's that kind of I guess the perspective I've built over time is I don't have like yeah I could have put things in plan and I could have buckled all these things down and said you know this is what I'm going to do and I'm not going to deviate from it but the discoveries and the the eye-opening experiences and all of the things that happened along the way, I wouldn't trade it for anything. No security, no job security would have been worth that. And so, yeah, it came with some high, some anxiety and it came with those moments, but it also came with what always follows those, you know, the high anxiety, which is the rewards, you know, yes, <laughs> and finding yeah. your place and, and your people and, you know, your thing. Yeah. That when you related it to Frost and like, you know, you got two paths and then you say that there's no wrong path. Um, that's a that's a very interesting way and I like the way you approach that. And as the more you talk about your story, our stories are very related in which when I started at ASU in undergrad biology, I wanted to be a park ranger. And then it was like uh yeah, they came to the realization that it was, oh, I'm going to have to move from mm-hmm. North Carolina, the only place I've ever lived. And I, I was like, I don't know. Like, as a timid 20-something-year-old, I was like, I don't, that's not for me. And so I had to start figuring out. Also, I didn't agree with how they taught biology. I love biology, but how I was being taught biology was not. And I made a rash decision and, and change still within the sciences, but then... Now, like, if I had the chance to go and work in Glacier National Park, 
I would pack up the entire family and we would all <laughs> right. go because that is an experience that you can't have. So you talk about how you didn't, re- you don't re- regret any of those decisions. Um, but I wanted to kind of challenge you. Maybe is there a, a instance in which you do regret a choice you made based on careers or jobs or, or something in those lines? So one of the things that happened that chased me away from biology, so to speak, it was like you, like you said, the way they teach it is still to like any time I, I was I was talking to everybody right before the interview about how I don't like to give tests, the multiple choice tests and these exams where it's memorized, spit out, and how much of it are you really going to remember if you didn't go apply it? Yeah. And so that really, that was where I was looking over at how they taught in the humanities, which it was discussion based. And it was, you know, use your mind, think critically, have your own thoughts about the material you're learning. And that was, was a big thing, but also, I took a class in one of my summers called Appalachian Ecology. Loved what we did. And we went hiking and we kept a notebook, a field notebook, and took our observations. And the professor would just stop every so often and talk about what you know, habitat we were in and what community of organisms lived there and, and some of the, the factors to their survival and development. But I was in a class full of athletes who were, who were much more physically able than I was. And I had no idea. I always treated the outdoors as a place to meander, mosey, and explore. <laughs> and not not my classmates. They were they were you know let's hike 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 hike. And when we had to stop and talk about you know ecology, that's when they were bummed out. I Man, I'm like catching my breath. <gasps> yeah, let's let's talk about plants, please. I can't breathe. And so I would fall way behind all these other people. And my ego got the best of me, really. I was so embarrassed when I would come crawling up behind these people who were just kind of like, got places to be, you know, we need, go, go, go. We could be back on the bus. And here I come, you know, barely just give me water, please. (laughs) (laughs) And it really freaked me out. I mean, I panicked. And so when you talk about a regret that I did not stick that out because natural history was the next class on my plate. And everyone was like, if you think the hiking was bad in Appalachian ecology, wait till natural history. And I freaked out. And so, but that's kind of the funny thing about looking back. Uh, experiences because while I do regret not sticking in there for that 
there's this other side that said, and then what? What if you hadn't switched over to English when you weren't ready to move? You weren't ready to experience a different life. You weren't willing to leave your family at the time. You wouldn't have had a job if you didn't go over to English. There's just these little stars in your sky that kind of guide you anyway to what you can do and what, where, where you are. I don't want to say meant to be because again, many possibilities. I could have gone for so many and I'm sure I would have ended up just fine, you know? Yeah. But on that one and this experience I'm having now that I wouldn't have had if I, if I had also stuck with that. And so failure, yeah, I look back and, and I say, I wish I would have traveled earlier. I wish my husband, you know, when my husband came along, he's the one who opened the world to me and let me, you know, then I started going to all these national parks and I, and I started thinking, man, yeah, I would have totally been happy as a biologist in these parks, helping with research. Um, th- there were the other parts of that that I wouldn't have enjoyed so much, like working at a desk and helping tourists figure out the, you know, wherever the, the easiest trail to go follow and things like that. Yeah. Where can we see the big obvious bison or the big <laughs> obvious bears? And uh, Why don't you want to see the little orchids that live in the forest and things like that? So I would have struggled with those too, but that's just everything, you know? And so regret, yeah, I've got them, but at the same time, it's more like a regret that I don't have, you know, 10 lifetimes. (laughs) Yeah. That's That's a very unique and interesting way to to have approached life either retrospectively or actively uh, in that like everything's going to have something that you don't like don't don't dwell on that one thing like look at the big picture take the the what you are going to value the most uh, make your decisions based off of that that's not something that we we hear a lot of uh, unfortunately yeah Uh, that's so true and I continue, I mean, here I am, the grown-up who's, you know, well into her career, and that still balks me sometime, that I didn't do things in the traditional way. I couldn't bring myself to, because to look too far into the future was so apprehensive for me that to this day when it's time to go someplace and someone asks me so what are your plans for the summer i might go through new england and end up in maine and with my husband and we'll camp through there uh i might end up deciding to go to texas instead and i might even just decide to stay home (laughs) it's this it's this i live in a world where everybody thinks that you should have like your whole year planned but I can't do that personally and I just always have to kind of not let myself get scared by the fact that I am doing things a little bit differently 
and just know, well, it's worked so far. <laughs> things haven't fallen to pieces. And actually, things have worked out pretty awesomely. And to continue doing that in, in the face of, yeah, a world that tells you, keep planning, keep planning, keep, you know, everything in perspective for so long. I just have to bounce. <laughs> just yeah. bounce from thing to thing. And it works. <laughs> Is there a specific way that you uh, kind of calm down your anxiety about not knowing what you were going to do in the future? It is valuing and exper- allowing myself to experience the moment I am in as the most important thing that I am doing. It's, and and that did not just come to me. It took a lot of work to be someone who lives in the moment instead of constantly in this, the apprehension of what is tomorrow. And it's, I think the, nature really does help me with that more than anything else and and I find reading does as well and I I would say earlier in life reading was my main way but that was kind of an escapist way and so it was like let's just leave this stressful world and go to you know whatever magical fantasy land is in these books and then nature started helping me really you know ground myself in in the moment of reality and to appreciate the time you know whatever it is i'm experiencing you know if i am worried if if things are if i don't know where things are going then i can go out to the woods and i can you know enjoy myself there and just just let myself absorb and not everybody connects to nature in that way um but there are other things they connect to i know for some people it's sports you know if they can the problem is, of course, you can't be lost in it either, because then that's an escapist thing, too. And it's like, it's this kind of balance between, all right, take steps forward towards your goals, but also don't forget, and I'm always telling my students this, don't forget to reward yourself. Don't forget to take the break that you've earned yourself. Come back and, and you know, make sure that you're you're using that that self-care that everybody talks about so much but so rarely seems Mm -hmm. to actually do do it you know (laughs) that's kind of that's kind of you know find that thing that in the moment absorbs you so much that you can't be anxious because it's just that wonderful of a thing to you and that's that's kind of how I did it (laughs) Yeah, everything that you've just said now is like very much resonated with me. Just talking about nature and books and dealing with like the stresses of that. Because I know, you know, I'm thinking about like, what am I going to do with my future when I'm going ahead? And just you saying that you bounced around and it worked and you just kind of dealt with those things as they came up is pretty comforting. Um, And I wonder, do you have students now that you kind of see going through the same thing that you did that you have either had the opportunity to give guidance to or just like seen come through something and find their way? Absolutely. All the time. It's, it's so common. I was just talking to a student who 
He is 16, and he loves to write uh, scripts for television shows, and he learned about something called a pitch Bible, which script writers, you know, they have to write these, and it's full of these details um, about characters and episodes and timelines, and he loves doing this, but he realizes that in our area, there's not a lot of jobs for that, and he decided he wanted to he's he's finishing up his high school requirements right now so he has this opportunity to kind of take a hidden gap year because he's finishing up early enough that by the time he, he'll be normal he'll be applying to college after he's taken a year off when he sh would have anyway if he hadn't been ahead and so it's but he worried that maybe he shouldn't. And so he kind of expressed to me the anxiety he had about all the future. He's like, I want to live a rich life. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanna, I want things and I want to I have a family. And he said he wanted to adopt children and help them on their way and, be, and have, you know, be financially well enough to help them achieve their dreams. And he was worried about, the fact that he might not be able to do that because of, you know, just the limited, you know, it is very competitive. Anything in entertainment is. And so we were talking about, well, what are the things that you have to realistically face with that? And one is networking. You know, it is a job where people are going to, you know, um, it's going to be one where you have to link up with people who are also uh you know ambitious and you've got to be ambitious and you've got to stay in that kind of in the in the flow of uh what's going on with others in that in that field in that interest because it's that it's just that reality that someone's going to say, hey, you come and be, you know, help me with my script and edit it. And then they remember you years later and have an opportunity when they're directing a film or something like that. You know, so we were talking about those realities, the fact that he would probably have to relocate. And in the end, once we were done talking about the realities part it was again that having to say but you have you know if what is right for you now is to take that gap year and to get some work experience he does tours at mystery hill in blowing rock oh yeah and yeah. so and it does it lets him develop that skill of you know because he kind of he writes his own tours and does his own kind of ad-libbing things uh, improvising things as he goes and connecting with people who are visiting there. He's working on skills that will help him with his future. And if that's where he feels like he needs to be, you know, in the end, I had to come around and just remind him, then that's where you need to be in the moment. You don't necessarily have to push yourself right now into this great big world at the age of 16 of, of, you know what how, whatever path you take to achieve this dream because this could be just as important to achieving that dream as anything else you know
because there's just places you are and are not ready to be in the moment. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be ready to do that in the future to get to your dream. You know, not everybody is like me. Not everybody is like bouncing and just able to, you know, go from thing to thing until they get there. Some people are like, this is the thing and it is the thing I will do. And yet at the same time to worry too much in a moment about controlling that, it's, it's, it's not healthy, you know, and it doesn't help you get any closer to your goal. Yeah. Yeah, did you have anyone in your life that kind of told you that it was okay to be undecided about the future? Yes. And, of course, there were plenty of people who were nervous for me. Um, I I have to say, for one thing, my parents were very supportive uh, that way. They, it was always like, you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And it was also in, like, I'd have all these discussions. It was almost like there were advisors kind of bidding, like, I teach this and my thing is the best. And then advisors who are over there, like, my thing is the best. So, you know, I teach biology and that's what everybody should be. And then I teach literature and that's what everybody should do. And it was a relief when... I I heard from an advisor and it was actually in grad school that I heard the best of this and that was again uh, Georgia Rhodes my composition instructor who said you know it's it's she had taken kind of an odd path too and like she was really into drama and like community theater and That was kind of like her other universe that she could have landed in if she wasn't professing uh, writing and composition. And it was it was her who kind of, you know, conned me down onto. I have to give her the credit in and just stopping me and saying it's all right if you don't have it all figured out yet. And I remember having that conversation with her. She pulled me aside right before one of our classes. And just when an instructor or a professor does something like that, you know, they, they, they take that extra moment to have a word with you and just you. I've always tried to remember that as a teacher myself is that it was huge because it must you must have something really important to say if you're taking your time out to to do that and that was kind of her message was was uh you're freaking out too much about this thing you know just let things happen more because I was starting to second guess myself again and again and again (laughs) so yeah, yeah it's it was but you know, I got all the way to grad school before I really heard someone say that to me. And it would have been so nice to hear it earlier. I would like to have heard that back in, like, the very beginning of high school. Yeah. So, like, what's the best advice you have for young people, from, like, from your perspective that you would say, that you would love to hear um, being undecided? What a big question 
first of all, because there are so many things. No, it's 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 such an important question, but there's so much going on and and to unpack in it. So if I'm going to boil it down, it's going to sound cheesy. And it's going to be that follow your passion route. But it kind of comes with an asterisk. And that is also, you may not know what your passion is yet. And that was definitely the case for me. And, you know, I told you when I got to college, I didn't even know if I wanted to be there. And the people were some of the you know that was that was huge to connect to mentors and so as your sometimes your passion may appear as a person and that's that's odd to say but it someone you connect with will show you their philosophy and their perspective on something they really love and because they have shared with you the way they love that you kind of catch their you kind of catch the the same kind of infectious enthusiasm they have for it yes. and that's where i ended up i mean that was it is is kind of catching the wind of how passionate my professors were and it's you know be open to that that possibility that you may not even know what your true passion is follow it literally follow it don't try to lead it and you've said that you have continued independent studies and researchers research um even while being a teacher now yeah so you've like found a way to still focus on um, ecology and being a teacher and did you find that that just kind of continued to expand i guess your interest in like pursuing other paths while still being a teacher yes it's so i still love teaching in the humanities but i am in such a different place now than i was when i first started teaching it's some some teachers you know they they do they stick to their thing that 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 they specialize in and you know Shakespeare and British literature is always their love from A to B to C to the end of you know to retirement but one of the things that's been really fun on my path has been because I did choose the humanities it's I, I keep being able to follow one interest into another interest into another interest so i started being very interested in british romanticism where poets like william wordsworth and samuel taylor coleridge um, or even british victorianism like gerard manley hopkins were writing all these nature poems that i could you know see a more artistic way of talking about biology kind of going back to that i didn't like the way biology was being taught but i sure liked the way poets were talking about it in british romanticism and victorianism and so i really got into that for a while but then that started leading me out into more of an interest like Uh, first gosh I mean you talk about just interests everywhere that really led me to 
interests in like anthropology and mythology was a huge ex, you know exciting new place for me to to um, expand into when I got the opportunity to teach it here at Caldwell Community College because I'd taken mythology at Lee's McRae and I loved it but it never really went anywhere else until I got to teach it and then that becomes like self-teaching and the same thing happened when I stepped up to teach critical thinking. It's like, what do I really know about critical thinking? Well, yeah, I know the, the, the basic ways of, you know, logic and philosophy. But I decided to say, let's really think about critical thinking and what it would look like for people if they are going to apply it in their everyday life. So I found myself studying social psychology and I found myself studying, um, you know, going more into philosophy in ways that I had never had the opportunity before. And so teaching was, is, it, it's like this opportunity to just travel in your mind almost because you have that ability to and, and especially I have to say this about the humanities it especially lends itself well to exploration and being able to yeah. grow in pretty much any direction that I can fit into my classes you know yeah <laughs> and it is it's it's um you know and traveling comes into that too so yeah and you said you started off when you first were going to Lisa McRae, you know, not really wanting to break out of the shell of like where you lived. Um, but you began traveling more. I remember you said when you met your husband. So what did traveling expand for you? And so if I do something, I'm going to, you know, I don't, I don't just take baby steps. I I just kind of go from nothing to all. And my husband had been, as he, in his past life, so to speak, he already had the experience. And that was a big deal for me, you know, being able to travel with someone who'd already, you know, experienced traveling and could kind of show me the ropes. But his first pitch was, let's take a road trip around America and do it camping. And it was this kind of, okay, let's try it out. I, we didn't even, I mean, it was tent camping. We're not talking like RV or anything like that. We're talking a tent. <laughs> and wow, so, yeah. you know, it's the Subaru and the tents and just going and finding our way through. Uh, we actually, what, what happened to kind of pair up with my career during this time was now I started visiting these places like Mark Twain's historic birthplace was like the first place we stopped that really sticks out that I was like wow he came out of a tiny cabin he was born (laughs) in a one room shack they actually had this preserved in a um, within a museum it was so tiny they were able to put his birthplace in another building wow and then I started seeing other places like this and then I started seeing rock art in uh in the southwest and that really opened my eyes for mythology because I started seeing the the different way that mythology didn't just stay in storytelling I was able to connect different types of art to the subject matter I was teaching in mythology and 
for anyone who's taken my mythology class, you know how vi- I like to bring visual yes. artistic things like um, Carl Jung's mandala in. And that really comes from, you know, finally going out and seeing how the books actually, you know, I- I'm seeing what I've learned about through my, through learning in the classroom actually out in the world and then being able to feed it back into my classroom and that was like the missing piece that was it like like that was that was what am I missing in teaching and that was it being able to bring more of the world into that and so finally getting that bravery and saying let's leave the Appalachian Mountains and let's see more yeah. It was like, it was it was almost like that last piece of the puzzle. So would you say that's what made you successful in your teaching career? Absolutely. It's, you know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't say I was unsuccessful before, but I was limited. It's like working with half a toolkit. And so... Yeah, I had books, and I had lessons, and I had documentaries, and I had, but to see my material at work in the field, I mean, that's what college was all about anyway. It was being able to have field experiences and to expand beyond just exams and multiple choice tests, you know? And in a way, I shorted myself when I was in college by not, you know, taking the advantage of going to Yellowstone, going to Florida, going to Texas, Big Bend National Park. I had all those possibilities I could have taken, but I never did because I was I was I was frightened. I was scared. I didn't know how, you know, I just didn't know. and, And the idea was intimidating to me. And it was always, it was, it was just working without that, I almost want to say, I almost want to say it's that, it's that kind of, uh, imagine the person who's kind of locked in that ivory tower of learning, if you will, you know, with all the books around them and all of the, uh, you just access to all the world's information, you know, the internet. We have access to anything, anytime we want. But it just, it couldn't replace the experience of being able to go and, and see the context the original context for the literature I'd read. You know, where did Eudora Eudora Welty grow up and take her photographs in the American South? Um, Where did, um, where did, (laughs) where did Mark Twain get his crazy idea to write (laughs) about the frogs of Calaveras County? Well, it was in Calaveras County, California. And let me tell you, that, that little town you could see why it inspired his short story, the the jumping Cal, uh, the jumping frog of Calaveras County, because it was just this odd little small town where there was old mines out on 
like up in the mountains and it just you could totally see why the color of California was appealing to him in that story but there's no way I would have known that until of course I was there and no picture on the internet could have have fed that like going up and touching the little frog statues they have everywhere <laughs> for that that contest they have till this day where they still race jumping frogs in Calaveras County. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, you know, we're going to have to re- close up on time soon. Absolutely. Um, uh, just some final thoughts. I guess what I would you say feels the most rewarding each day about being a teacher and about, you know, just everything that you've done throughout your whole life and you've settled here, like being you said you everything you've always come back to teaching through adventuring and through journeying and what is the most rewarding thing that you find just daily about waking up and going to be a teacher every day it's like the ultimate challenge because when working with people to teach them in the best way that you can find every day is another puzzle is another challenge to put together And then when you add the fact that you're actually making a difference in people's lives, it's, it is, for one thing, it's humbling. It's always surprising to me to remember that part of things that I actually do almost, well, it's, it's, it's like planting seeds. And a lot of times, if you were planting seeds and just didn't have the, you didn't necessarily get to come back and see what they had grown into. But every once in a while, students come back and they're like, they reach to you from wherever they're at and whatever experience they're now at. And I heard from one student who was asking me for a syllabus of the mythology class for where he is at now at UNC and at first it just it was that's all it was was just a request for a syllabus but then as I started emailing him he was like I remember your class so vividly and I especially remember getting to write our own myths at the end and that is still so is such a great memory and I appreciated that and and you realize that had staying power and that's just that's exhilarating to realize that something you did and something that you created didn't last one day or just a month or just a year it lasted years you know i built something and it had staying power and it impacted someone's life and gave them something even if you don't know what it is because You don't always get to sit down and have a conversation with every student about, you know, what came out of your class. And, but when you get those little hints, it's like, it's so gratifying. Yeah, that is, that is really, um, it's just beautiful to hear that that's just, you know, your, the meaning that you find just daily in your work. And thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us. Everything that you said is really just been very thought-provoking and resonated a lot with me and I'm sure everyone else here. So thank you for coming on our podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. Today's episode was recorded on April 25th, 2023. 
This episode was produced by Josh Cooper and hosted by me, Sophia Banye, Ariana Hernandez, Michaela Price, and Henry Hightower. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.